Hi, this next section looks at eyelid anatomy. So, let's begin. Question one. Describe the lamellae of the eyelid. The eyelids have two lamellae. The anterior lamella, which is the skin and abicularis, and the posterior lamella, which is the tarsal plate and conjunctiva. What is the grey line? The grey line is the junction between the anterior and posterior lamellae. What is the function of the tarsal plate? The tarsal plate gives structural integrity to the lids. Which glands are found in the tarsal plate? The meibomian glands are found within the tarsal plate. Where do the meibomian glands open to? The meibomian glands open just posterior to the grey line. They mark the border of the mucocutaneous junction. From where does the orbital septum originate? The orbital septum originates from the orbital rim and it rises as a thickening called the arcus marginalis. This is where the facial and orbital periosteum meets the posterior surface of glia. Where does the septum insert? In some Asian upper lids, the septum inserts into the tarsal plate, but otherwise it inserts into the levator aponeurosis. What is the innervation of the orbicularis muscle? The orbicularis muscle is supplied by the temporal and zygomatic branches of the facial nerve on the deep surface. What is the function of the two parts of the orbicularis? Orbicularis is made up of the orbital part and the palpable part. The orbital part gives us our forced eye closure, whereas the palpable part provides blinking. Where does the medial canthus tendon originate and insert?
Abicularis originates, sorry, the medial canthal tendon originates from the palpable part of the Abicularis and inserts in two places. One, the superficial part merges with the tarsal plate and into the anterior to the um, anterior lacrimal crest and the deep part inserts posterior to the lacrimal crest, posterior also to the lacrimal sac. Where does the lateral canthal tendon originate and insert? The lateral canthal tendon arises from the periosteum of the lateral orbital rim and with nails tubercle and merges into the tarsal plate. Where does the levator palpebrae superioris muscle originate? Levator palpary superioris arises from the apex of the orbit near the orbit the optic canal. What happens to the levator palpary superioris muscle as it approaches the insertion? As the levator palpebrae superioris approaches its insertion, it becomes aponeurotic. Here, the muscle sheath thickens and forms the withnal ligament, which attaches to the trochlear fascia medially and the lacrimal gland fascia laterally. This allows it to act as a pulley, converting the posterior pull into a vertical movement. Where does the levator aponeurosis insert? The levator aponeurosis inserts into the tarsal plate, orbicularis oculi, and the skin. What's the lower lid equivalent to levator and Whitnall's ligament? The equivalent to the levator palpebrae superioris in the lower lid is the capsulopapral fascia and the equivalent of Whitnall's ligament is Lockwood's ligament, which provides a similar function. Where does the capsulopalpebral fascia insert? The capsulopalpebral fascia inserts into the inferior rectus muscle and therefore it depresses the lower eyelid with downward gaze. In Caucasians, what creates the upper eyelid fold? The upper eyelid fold in Caucasians is created by the connection between the levator aponeurosis and the skin. In which two ways does the Asian eye differ from the Caucasian eye?
The two ways in which the Asian eye differs from the Caucasian eye are, firstly, the levator aperiosus does not pass through the septum to the skin, and secondly, the orbital septum is attached lower on the anterior border of the tarsal plate. Therefore, the postseptal fat pad lies anterior to the tarsal plate in Asians. What is the innervation of Muller's muscle, otherwise known as the superior tarsal muscle? Muller's muscle is a sympathetically innervated muscle. What's the origin and insertion of Muller's muscle? Muller's muscle is found under the undersurface of the aponeurotic junction of levator. When is Muller's muscle active? Muller's muscle is always active, excluding when a patient is or a person is blinking or sleeping. What's the function of Muller's muscle? Muller's muscle provides two to three millimeters of lift at rest. Where are the posterior, sorry, where are the postseptal fat pads found? The postseptal fat pads are found between the septum and the levator aponeurosus. How many fat pads are there in the upper lid? There are two fat pads in the upper lid. How many fat pads are there in the lower lid? There are three fat pads in the lower lid. Which structure occupies the upper lateral compartment, i.e. which is the reason why there are less fat compartments? The lacrimal gland occupies the upper lateral compartment. Where are the preceptal fat pads? The preceptal fat pads lie between the septum and orbicularis. There are two. There's roof and suf. Roof is the retroorbicularis oculo fat in the upper lid, and suf is the suborbicularis oculo fat, which is in the lower lid. Which fat pads are removed during blepharoplasties? I.e., is it the pre or postseptal fat pads? It is the post-septal fat pads. What's the blood supply to the eyelids? The blood supply to the eyelids is part of a rich anastomotic network. Medially, they come principally from the ophthalmic artery, which gives off a superior marginal artery and an inferior marginal artery. Laterally, there is the lacrimal artery. Describe the Asian upper eyelid.
the Asian upper eyelid has the orbicularis oculi. Lying behind that is the septum, which inserts low down on the anterior border of the tarsus. Sitting behind that is levator palpi superioris, which becomes aponeurotic and then develops into Whitnell's ligament. Following on from Whitnell's ligament is the levator aponeurosis, which also comes and inserts low down and anterior onto the tarsus. There is also Muller's muscle, which attaches to the superior part of the tarsus. As there is a long gap between the septum and the levator aponeurosis, the postseptal fat can come quite a way down the eyelid, and there are no connections between the levator aponeurosis and the eyelid skin. Describe the Caucasian eyelid. For the Caucasian eyelid, again, you have the orbicularis oculi with the septum running along the posterior surface. This joins superior to the tarsus onto the levator aponeurosis, and the levator gives off um, insertions to the skin and orbicularis, which is what causes the upper eyelid crease in Caucasians. Sitting behind the levator aponeurosis is Muller's muscle, which attaches into the superior aspect of the tarsal plate. And there is a much smaller space for the fat pad compared to the Asian eyelid. Describe the lower eyelid. The lower eyelid has a similar configuration to the Caucasian upper lid. So you have the septum running along the posterior surface of the orbicularis. There's then a space between the septum and the capsulopalpable fascia where the fat pad lies. The capsulopalpable fascia runs between Lockwood's ligament and the tarsal plate. It also runs alongside of the inferior rectus with the inferior oblique ligament, which attaches into the tarsal plate. What are the three layers of lid lubrication? The three layers of lid lubrication are the inner layer, which is formed from mucin secreting goblet cells and produces the mucoprotein layer. There is then an intermediate aqueous layer, which is produced by the accessory lacrimal gland, and an outer oily layer, and that's what increases the tear evaporation time. And this outer oily layer is produced by the mebobian glands which are within the tarsus as we discussed earlier and also come from the glands of Zeiss and Molly at the root of the eyelashes. What's the role of the lacrimal gland? The lacrimal gland is a reflex secretor 
and it produces a secretion similar to that of the intermediate layer, which was the aqueous layer. Describe the drainage of the eye. At the apices of the lacrimal papillae, there is the upper and lower puncta that drain into the canaliculi. These have a 2mm vertical part and then an 8mm horizontal part. The horizontal parts combine to form the common caniculus. This empties into the lacrimal sac, and the lacrimal sac is surrounded by the lacrimal pump. Where does the nasolacrimal duct empty? The nasolacrimal duct empties into the inferior meatus. What are the aims of eyelid reconstruction? The aims of eyelid reconstruction are to create a stable skin, lid support, lining, and a dynamic function. Which structures of the eyelid need to be separately reconstructed? The anterior and posterior lamella need to be separately reconstructed. Remember, the anterior lamella is skin and muscle, posterior is tarsus and conjunctiva. Which eyelid contributes the most to eye closure? The upper eyelid contributes most to eye closure. Which eyelid gives most passive corneal coverage? The lower eyelid gives most passive corneal coverage. Why is skin not used to reconstruct conjunctiva? We can't use skin to reconstruct conjunctiva because it keratinizes and also contains lanugo hair which irritate the conjunctiva. How should the posterior lamellographs be secured? Posterior lamellographs should be secured either onto the tarsal plate or onto the canthal ligaments at the edge of the graft. If neither of these two are present, then they can be secured onto the periosteum. Okay, let's look at reconstruction. How are defects of the lower eyelid less than a third of the total width managed? So if there is a lesion up to a third of the lower eyelid, then it can be excised using a pentagonal excision and closed directly. How should dog ears for less than a third defect be managed? So if there is a dog ear at the base of your pentagonal excision, then a lateral extension of the wound can be used in order to excise this without increasing the risk of an ectropion. If there's excessive tension when this defect is closed, how can it be managed?
A lateral canthotomy can be used to reduce the tension of closure. How does this change in elderly patients? Elderly patients have more laxity of their lower eyelid, and so therefore larger defects can be closed directly. So now thinking of defects between a third and two thirds, how are these larger defects excised? These larger defects should also be excised in a pen pentagonal excision. How much extra advancement does a lateral canthotomy provide? A lateral canthotomy can provide up to five millimeters of additional advancement. Which structure is divided in a lateral canthotomy? The lower limb of the lateral canthus is divided, sorry, the lateral canthal tendon is divided in a lateral canthotomy. How is the lateral canthotomy performed? A lateral canthotomy is performed by medial traction applied to the lower lid. The lower limb of the lateral canthal ligament can be felt as a tight band. There is then dissection along this lower limb, which can then be divided. What additional procedure can be performed if the lateral canthotomy is insufficient? If a lateral canthotomy is insufficient, then a tensile's semicircular musculocutaneous rotation flap and posterior lamellar reconstruction with a hinged periosteal flap from the orbital margin can be used. For tensile's um, flap, then the limit of the limb is the lateral extent of the eyebrow. Okay, now let's talk about the big lower eyelid defects. So these are the ones greater than two-thirds of the width. What's the modified Hughes tarsal conjunctival flap? A tarsoconjunctival flap is one from the upper lid where an incision is made more than 4mm superior to the margin and just narrower than the defect. The vertical incisions are made on either side. There is then the full thickness is brought through and sutured onto the lower lid. What tarsoconjunctival grafts can be used and what additional procedure is required? The two sites that a tarsoconjunctival 
type graph can be harvested are from the opposite eyelid or the nasal septal chondromucosal grafts. But these must be vascularized by local flaps to reconstruct the anterior lamella. What alternatives are possible for the anterior lamella? For the anterior lamella, it is possible to do a bipedical trippier flap, a superiorly based nasal jugal flap, a glabella flap, which is good for medial defects. What alternatives are there for the posterior lamella? For the posterior lamella, you can also use auricular cartilage grafts, oral mucosal grafts from the hard palate, ADMs or tarsomarginal grafts. What's the difference between a Mastardi cheek rotation flap and a uh, McGregor cheek flap? A Mastardi cheek rotation flap comes up along the lateral margin of the lower lid and then rotates down into the cheek and the whole thing is advanced and rotated. The McGregor cheek flap, the incision comes out superlateral to the lateral canthus and is advanced using a Z-plasty. Okay, eyelids. How are defects less than a third managed in the upper eyelid? As with the lower lid, less than a third can be excised in a pentagonal excision and closed directly. How are defects between a third and two thirds managed? Between a third and two thirds, the defect is pentagonally excised and then extra advancement can be used with lateral canthotomies, cantholysis, or using a tensile or McGregor flap. The Cutler beard flap can be used for defects greater than two thirds. What is the Cutler beard flap? The Cutler beard flap is a full thickness, inferiorly based flap from the lower eyelid. The apex is around 5mm from the lid margin and in parallel to it. The flap is advanced under the tarsal bridge and sutured across the globe for six weeks. What's the definition of ptosis? Ptosis is a drooping of the upper eyelid. What's the normal excursion of the upper eyelid? The normal excursion of the upper eyelid is 12 to 15 millimetres. How much excursion is provided by Muller's muscle? Only one to two millimetres is provided by Muller's muscle. How much of the upper cornea is covered in normal gaze? One to two millimetres of cornea is usually covered.
What's pseudotosis? Pseudotosis is apparent ptosis unrelated to eyelid elevation. For example, microphthalmus or enophthalmus, loose skin overhanging the lid margin, or contralateral lid retraction. What is blepharophimosis? Blepharophimosis is an autosomal dominant condition of small palpable fissures, leading to ptosis, epicanthal folds, and telecanthus. What is blepharochalasis? Blepharochalasis is a rare syndrome where there is recurrent upper eyelid edema, leading to laxity of supporting structures. What's the classification of ptosis? Ptosis can be classified as mechanical, myogenic, aponeurotic, or neurogenic. So mechanical, these are due to tumour, scar, anophthalmos, or dermochalasis. Myogenic is usually due to a congenital levator dystrophy or myosina gravis. Aponeurotic is either congenital or acquired defects in the levator, or neurogenic, where there is a CN3 palsy, a Marcus Gunn jaw wink, or Horner's syndrome, and Horner's is meiosis, anhydrosis, ptosis, and apparent enophthalmos. So, just going through again the classification of the etiology of ptosis mechanical, myogenic, aponeurotic, and neurogenic. How is ptosis assessed? With ptosis, firstly, it's important to establish the cause, as some causes do not need surgery. For example, myosinia gravis. Then take a history looking at duration, progression, and any precipitating events. Examine the eye, the fundo, the acuity, pupil, pupillary re reaction, eye movements, fatigue. Look at the margin reflex distance. Here you hold a light 50 centimetres away and check the reflex lid distance for each lid compared to the medial eyebrows. Levator function. Fix the brow with the thumb to eliminate frontalis and then... Sorry, eliminate frontalis, then... Then get the patient to do upward and downward gaze and look at the medial brow to upper lid distance. Look for jaw winking. This is, uh, you get the patient to do voluntary jaw side to side movements and um, this should lead to elevation of the eyelid if jaw winking is present. And finally fatigue. Get the patient to look up for 30 seconds and then see if there is a droop. How do you test for Bell's phenomenon? With Bell's phenomenon, hold the upper lid while the patient gently tries to close their eye. What's Shermer's test?
Schirmer's test is a test to quantify tear production. So the conjunctiva is anaesthetized, and a 35mm by 5mm strip of filter paper is placed at the junction between the middle and lateral thirds of the lower eyelids. If there is more than 10mm of tear, then this is normal, whereas less than 5mm is deficient. What is tear breakup time? Tear breakup time is a measure to assess the quality of tears. Fluorescin is instilled into the eye and the cornea visualised with cobalt blue. Tear film should remain intact for around 20 seconds. What is the concern if any of these tests are deficient? If any of these tests are deficient, it increases the risk of post-op complications, leading to discomfort, corneal damage and visual impairment. What is the management algorithm for ptosis? So when assessing ptosis, firstly have a look at the levator function. If the levator function is greater than 10 millimeters, it's then important to assess the ptosis. If the ptosis is less than 2 millimeters, so levator function greater than 10 millimeters, but ptosis less than 2 millimeters, then this can be managed with shortening of Muller's muscle. If ptosis is greater than 2 millimeters, then a levator aponeurosis repair is required. Where the levator function is not greater than 10 millimeters, this is a levator issue, then if the levator function is less than four millimeters, a brow suspension should be performed. Whereas if, it, if the levator function is more than four millimeters, but obviously less than 10 millimeters, then a levator resection can be performed. How is a Muller's muscle shortening performed? A Muller's muscle shortening can be performed by averting the upper lid, placing an artery clip close to but superior to the tarsal plate, then placing sutures through the conjunctiva and Muller's and the tarsus proximal to the clip. Finally, remove the clip and excise the excess tissue, and then run a second line of sutures over the raw surface. How is a brow suspension performed? In a patient over four years old, a strip of tensor fasciolata is inserted transversely just above the lid margin. It's then tunneled upwards under abicularis through frontalis using a right needle to the brow. Then the end is brought out and secured and buried. If the patient is under four, 
then a synthetic material should be used, such as a silicon rod. What's an ectropion? An ectropion is an aversion of the eyelid away from the globe. Which eyelid can get an ectropion? Both eyelids actually can have an ectropion, but it's much more common in the lower lid. What is the risk with ectropions? The risk with an ectropion is that the patient can get a dry eye with reflex tear production, leading to an ephoria and punctum stenosis and cicatal changes. How are ectropians classified? The causes of ectropians can be classified into paralytic, involutional, so here there is horizontal laxity, cicatrical, Ask the patient to look up while opening their mouth and mechanical, for example, an eyelid tumour. How should an ectropion be assessed? So there are three ways to assess an ectropion. Firstly, assess the horizontal laxity by gently pulling the lid away from the eye. If you can pull the lid more than 10 millimeters from the eye, this is abnormal. Next is the snapback. Gently pull the lower eyelid down and observe the snapback. A normal eye should be immediate. If the lid is very lax, then it may require a blink to return the lid or even a finger to press it back towards the lid. Assess the canthal te tendons by pulling medially and laterally. The punctum, lateral to the carnicle, should move less than 1 to 2 millimetres. And the lateral canthus, which is 1 to 2 millimetres medial to the rim, should again move around 1 to 2 millimetres. What is a paralytic ectropion? And how is it managed? So the management of a paralytic ectropion is the medial aspect should be addressed first. So the medial canthoplasty, if the tendon is intact, whereas a medial canthopexy plus or minus wedge excision, if it is not intact. The residual laxity is then managed with a sling or a kunt simlautski, which is a lateral lamellar wedge and blethroplasty. How is an involutional ectropion managed? Essentially, an involutional ectropion is managed by shortening the horizontal distance. So if there is a medial laxity, then a medial wedge if the tendon is stable, or a canthopexy plus or minus medial wedge if it is not. If it is laterally lax, then a lateral wedge plus or minus a Kuntz-Szymanski or a lateral canthal sling if it's unstable. What is an entropion and which eyelid is usually affected?
An entropion is an inward rotation of the lid margin, usually affecting the lower lid, and it traumatizes the globe, causing pain and scarring. How are the causes of entropion classified? The three causes of an entropion are cyclical, because of posterior lamellar scarring, pulling the lid line inwards. Involutional, and this is usually because of the preceptal orbicularis displacing over the pretarsal orbicularis, or congenital. How can epicanthal folds be corrected? Epicanthal folds can be corrected with a Mustade jumping man flap. What's an evisceration? An evisceration is removing the cornea and the contents of the globe but leaving the sclera. This is not used for malignancies. What is an enucleation? An enucleation is removal of the globe, leaving the soft tissue intact. Extraocular muscles can then be sutured to an implant. What is an exenteration? An exenteration is the complete removal of the orbital contents, including eyelids. Dissection is subperiosteal and can be left to heal by secondary intention or grafting, but grafting leads to deeper sockets with less granulation tissue. Flaps can also be used to obliterate the defect.